Hello and welcome to the Living in Jesus podcast. My name is Ross O'Hare and I'll be your host today. Living in Jesus is a podcast designed to explore the depths of what it means to live a grace-filled life with Jesus as the focus. On today's podcast, we will explore the needs of humanity. This will include how those needs are met and how our needs being met are central to living a grace-filled life. Here we go. Joining me today is Bo Brezina. Hi. And Jamie Ferris Piles. Hi. And Tom Price. Hey, how are you doing, Ross? Good. How are you guys today? Excellent. Good. So far, so fair. Good. Well, we're going to jump right into the discussion today, and we are talking about needs of humanity. So, Tom, I'm going to start with you. You know, needs of humanity can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but what does it mean to have needs as humans? How does that, what does that look like? Well, a need is something that we have to have. It's not something we just desire. It's something we have to have in order to function, to live properly. I think in my conversations with people, oftentimes they immediately go to the physiological. I need food, I need air, I need clothes, I need shelter. That would obviously apply to our physiological existence, our body. If you don't get food in your body, you're going to die. You're not going to but I, th- I think that if you read the scriptures from cover to cover, obviously God is concerned with that, but we're talking about these deep inner needs that he's very, very focused on, love, acceptance, being valued, yeah. things of that nature. Yeah, so the, you know, there's a lot of contrast between physical needs and emotional psychological needs, and obviously the physical needs are very accessible for everybody to understand. The emotional or psychological needs are sometimes left. So... Jamie, how would you talk about our intrinsic needs or our uh, internal needs and what's important about them? Well, I do know that it, the most obvious needs are the physical, and people don't always recognize those deep inner needs. But if you look at what happens with babies, looking at uh, the orphans in China or some of these other places where They are left to lie in a bed and just given a bottle and change diapers, and they aren't held Mm -hmm. and cuddled in those early years. They don't thrive, and in fact, some die. So that shows me that those are needs Mm. for living. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about needs as something we have to have, as Tom said. So how is it that we meet those needs? What are, if, you know, someone's thinking, okay, well, obviously with food or air, it's pretty obvious I'm going to eat something or breathe. But with the internal or emotional, psychological needs, how is it that they are met? Well, the internal needs, they're internal. And because God, he created us in such a manner that he wants to meet our internal needs. He wants to be the source for the meeting of those needs. But because of the the fall, humanity looks outwardly to meet inward needs, and that's sure. where the problem lies. So God wants to meet them, but how does he actually meet them? Well, you know, Jesus was the Word revealed, so we look to his Word for truth, and that's the whole uh, concept behind the, the concept of God, Lecture 1 or Chapter 1 in Living in Jesus, we have to look at the essence and character of who he is. And, um, you know, you've probably heard someone say that God's, the way he designed us is his provision is a great match for our need. 
And so we have to look at, at him at, and how he has revealed himself to start comprehending that question. That's a big question. And I don't, you ask how, and I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, how does he technically do that? God is God, and, and there's mystery in the how. But all I know in experience is that he does and that he can and that he's faithful in meeting those needs. I think this is where our faith comes into play. You know, faith it has to be invested in truth to experience the benefit of it. You know, Tom made a statement of faith. He says, God does, he has met my needs. That implies that he put his faith, he, he believed in that moment where he was needy and he experienced God meeting those needs. I think that's important to remember. We talk all the time about how belief drives our behavior. It drives what we think, what we know, how we live, how we experience life. So beginning to believe that God is meeting those needs, whether we see it in the moment or not, our expectations of him and our feelings can begin to line up with that truth. So it depends on faith and it depends on a belief. Now, the secular world, the world at large will say, you know, it's my responsibility. I've got to meet my needs. You know, I, I was even just doing research today about how is it that the secular world talks about meeting our needs. And time after time, it was recognize what need is lacking and then figure out how you can better fulfill your own needs in that way. So how is that not the correct way to do it? Or why is that not the best way to handle getting our needs met? Well, as we talked about in the the first podcast of the character qualities of God, God is a creator. God can create something out of nothing. None of creation, which we are a part of, sure. we cannot create. We can be creative, but we cannot create. I cannot, you know, have a thought and make it come into existence just because I thought it. Mm. And so when we're trying to meet our needs, those needs can only be met by a creator not by someone who is creative. I know that's kind of... Well, no, I mean, I like where you're going with that. If, you know, if we could take that a little bit step further, it's because we're a created being, there's a limitation placed on us to be able to do it accurately or well enough, or why can, not, why can a created being not do it? I think you can do it for a while. I think the key word you used was limited. Everyone's resources are limited. My need for love or acceptance is unlimited in terms of, I mean, it goes on 24 seven. Sure, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. constant. Maybe that would be the better word. Mm -hmm. It's a constant need. And that means I have finite energy to meet my own need. And that's a recipe for disaster. And so I think that's one of the big dilemmas that the world has. The world preaches to us or tells us that, yes, you're strong, independent, capable, smart. You can figure this out. And for a while, it seems to work. It reminds me of the, the problem the proverb that says there's a way it seems right to a man. Yeah, it should, I should be able to figure out how to get acceptance. Yeah. And I think that limited factor is a big key. And two, we were created to house his life. And I use often the lamp that's in our counseling room. Uh, most of the time it's unplugged, so it's a perfect example. Mm. It looks like a lamp, but it's not functioning as it was meant to function until it is plugged in to that source. And so most of humanity, if they don't know God, don't know that they're lacking a source 
that is an infinite supply for them. And they don't need to burn out when he is the source. Yeah, it gives me the picture of that lamp trying to meet its own, you know, in its own strength, turn itself on. And we see the absurdity of that when we talk about that example. But as humanity, we, we're like, yeah, I can do this. I can try it. I like to use the example of a water hose. You know, I, I turn the water faucet on and water comes out the end of the hose. And, of course, I know where the water's coming from, but the water hose, if I could give it life, it might assume, look at me, I'm making water. When the truth is, the water hose is just a conduit. And it has to have a source in order to, to be filled with water in order to produce water on the other end. And, and we're created the same way. We have to be filled first before we can give. Yeah. Well, it's the uh, idea of the difference between achieving something and receiving something. If you want to contrast them, if we receive the needs from God, then we actually experience that fullness or the light being turned on and the hose being full. But if we try to achieve it on our own, the results are never going to be great. Now, why is that so hard, do you think? Why, as believers... Why do you think that we still struggle with that? Why, why do we still try to meet our own needs? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. One is, is we're born apart from God, dead in our sins. And so immediately we have to get these needs met somewhere. Jamie talked about the toddlers in the orphanages. We have to have love. We have to have acceptance, be nurtured and valued. And without Christ, the natural training ground is the world around me. And the other thing and we haven't talked about a whole lot is that God has given us desires for healthy interchange between people. The scriptures talk about loving one another and accepting one another, and it's so easy to get those two concepts crossed. Oh, sure. since I need love and God says to love me, then I must should get it from you. Hmm. And so you mix the idea that a baby comes in the world looking for that, and then they fixate on the outside world to get that. It gets really confusing. Yeah. And you play that out over several decades of one's life. You get used to looking to yourself and your world around you, and you can even slap some Bible verses on it saying, this is where I should get my needs met from other people or other things in my life. And we were created for relationship. God exists in relationship, and he created us to share that with him. And there's something uh, that he's placed in that system that drives us to seek it, to seek to be filled with something, especially to be filled with a sense of our own value and our importance to another creator, human being, depending on which way we're looking for that source. Now, we've kind of answered the question of why it's important to know that we have needs, but how does knowing that we do have needs, that it's an intrinsic, we're born with that innate, that's inside of us, how does that help us see more clearly who God is or who we are? Well, because God does meet our needs, and He created us in a, such a way that he, want, you know, he wants to have a relationship with us so we can meet those needs, I think because I have those felt needs, and I have to have those needs met, 
the more I realize that he is the source, then it drives me more and more into his presence. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, needs is, is supposed to be the motivator, but it's in the, him meeting those needs that I realize, oh my goodness, this intimate God who made me wants to have a relationship with me. And as he fills me with his presence in his life, then I'm not being need centric. I'm not thinking about, oh, I've got to get my needs met. And now I, I can, I'm actually at a place where I can enjoy my life. If you walk around needy, I guarantee you, you're not enjoying life. But I think before even that happens, most of us have to come to the end of self. Most of us come to that understanding after trying hard over and over and over to try to get that need met and failing and realizing that. And we come to the point where there's got to be something better than this. And that's where it points us back to the nature and character of who God is. And the neediness Mm -hmm. is a a gateway to explore this grandeur of of the greatness and immensity of what does it mean that God is love, right? Um, Well, if I didn't have a need for love, uh, I probably wouldn't even have a receptor capability Mm -hmm. to understand this immensity of the nature and character of who God is. I think uh, acceptance that need helps me delve into the mystery of Jesus become flesh. You know, I think it's just grand how it it's an invitation into intimacy with getting to know the nature and character of God. So along those lines, are we going to say something? I was just going to say, and after a deficit of that, oh, how you love the feeling that you get from knowing that unconditional acceptance it's so powerful, and it is. it draws you. Yeah, it just shows the overarching plan of God that he, I mean, he says he's going to use all things together for our good, but he really does, because even the time away when we're in sin or born apart from God, all those years spent trying to get our own needs met, it just shows the beauty of how amazing it is when he meets our needs. And like mm-hmm. you said, yeah, there's a beauty and a draw that's connects you to God in that. So, uh, Bo, you were just talking about the intimacy that it breeds. So how have you seen your needs being met by God? Like, you know, tell us about your journey a little bit. In sure. That. Well, why don't I tell you my recent journey? I've been sure. going this journey for decades, yeah. but one of the th- needs that God has been talking to me about recently was the idea of being wanted. And of course, that encompasses acceptance and being valued and loved and all these things. And Mm -hmm. it came in the context of something, a situation with one of my loved ones, where I left there kind of thinking, maybe I'm not as wanted as I wanted to be. (laughs) Play on words. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so I start talking to the Holy Spirit. I pray about it. And I know in the scriptures that there's plenty of verses about that apply to this, of how he leads me, how he came for me. So I get this opportunity to bring this situation where I have this deep longing for being wanted, and he starts to reveal himself to me through his word. And he led me to the famous Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm, mm-hmm. and he's saying, Bo, uh, my leadership of you is an example, a sign of my wanting you, right? Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's the idea that you always be wanted. And then, of course, we know that he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And we know these beautiful things. But then he speaks to me. He reminds me of the cross. And he says, Bo, that's the essence 
that's the pinnacle of wantedness. Mm. And so that was an example where I had a felt need and it invited me into intimacy. Now, I could have chosen not to go into intimacy, not prayed about it at all, and gotten upset at this loved one, and maybe yeah. we have some kind of big argument or whatever and try to get it out of that person. Mm-hmm. But, of course, he gives us choices. And when, when I choose to, to walk into intimacy, praying and, and receiving and meditating on what he's already revealed about himself, that's investing my faith, and I experience the, him meeting my need in that moment. Yeah, it's interesting how you've talked about the option you had not to do that, Mm -hmm. you know, and the experience it would have been had you not sought out, you know, what the Spirit was telling you, and how it leads to a different form of behavior, probably Mm -hmm. manipulation or coercion to get that loved one to make you feel wanted, as opposed to going to the actual source like we've talked about. And now, you know, I I don't know if you can expand on that more in terms of how that felt or, you know, just... Yeah, I've done that a lot. (laughs) I've taken the other option a lot. And usually what that happens is some of my coping patterns may come out, either people-pleasing, I'll try harder to make that person happy Mm -hmm. so that they'll want me more, or maybe I'll use a little manipulation or a little guilt trip or a little argument or a little cold shoulder and the frustration, and then it drags on into other aspects of relationship. And so uh, that choice is ever before me, and I've done it a lot, not the intimacy with God thing, going to Him to get my needs. And so um, it's kind of touches on what Jamie had talked about earlier, about you, you trying to get these needs met, and it's not getting met. And so that leads to a lot of frustration, discouragement. I've experienced that a lot in my journey, because the people in my life, as loving and incredible and wonderful and beautiful they are they're limited beings yeah they don't have omniscience they're created beings like tom said yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. they love me but they don't have the omnipresent factor that god does they they understand me better than anybody else but they still can't know what's in my heart mm-hmm. And they can't even apply it all the time because they have their own issues going on. Yeah, And, and it so, puts a lot of pressure on them to give that for you. It would be unre- unrealistic expectation type of pressure, definitely. Well, that's what happens when we uh, look to others to meet our needs is then they're looking to us and we're looking to someone else and it becomes this tangled weave. But, Jamie, how about you? How would you answer the question? I've got a, a very unique situation being a woman, though, because I was... Uh, My mom died when I was very young, and I was raised uh, in my formative years by a dad who was all about you be independent, Hmm. you be strong, and you become somebody, become something. That was your goal. Mm -hmm. And that became kind of hard to do when I married my husband, who went into the Marine Corps to become a jet pilot. Hmm. And I spent the next eight years following him from squadron to squadron, raising a young daughter, trying to finish up my schooling. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist and living around a lot of what we call jet jocks who were extremely competitive and pushy and brash and bold and conceited and overachieving. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd been raised by a man, and I kind of went that route too, trying to get my value and self-worth from what I accomplished. And it was very hard to do during that time. But... An opening came up to teach uh, a kin- I'm sorry, a second grade class in the kindergarten through second grade church school where we were attending. I really thought they were scraping the bottom of the barrel to ask me <laughs> because I didn't have a teacher's certificate. Yeah. But they said, you're only going to be here another year and we can do it because we're a private school. 
So I took the job also not knowing that the four students that finally were left behind after they hired me in August were the four that weren't going to make it in public school. (laughs) So that year was something of a challenge. It was also a challenge because that same year they also added to the squadron their first female jet pilot. And so I'm thinking, wow, I'm not really measuring up here. Incidentally, that pilot was Tammy Jo Schultz, who would later go on to save a Southwest airliner from crashing after it exploded midair. So she was something of a person uh, there. And so I was really struggling that year. But God, in his infinite wisdom, had placed me there. He used it. And in spite of me, those kids thrived and, and did amazing things. And At the end of the year, when they did their little end-of-the-year program, and they were thanking the individual teachers, and they thanked me, they mentioned that if I hadn't taken the job, they were going to lose their accreditation, and the school would have had to close. Mm. And I was so humbled by that. And we had been studying in our Sunday school class this uh, book, by Ian Thomas called The Saving Life of Christ. And in it, he mentioned that it wasn't the uniqueness of the burning bush that Moses saw. It was God in the bush, and any old bush would do. Mm. And it hit me in that moment that that was what God had done. He had put me there in that place in that time, though I couldn't see it or couldn't value it at the time. And that was a pivotal point in my life. And God used that school. He's 30 years later, it's still growing. It's got uh, up to kindergarten through sixth grade now. Mm -hmm. Those kids still keep in touch with me. But I learned at that point where I could find my value. And it was amazing. I loved every minute of it. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing when I was looking at coming on board here at Christian Families Today uh, almost eight years ago, I had never worked in an environment where, you know, you had to raise support. And so there was a lot of fear in that. Now, I shared in the first podcast how after I became a believer that God and I had these conversations. Well, one morning I was sitting on a dock there in North Florida, my wife's uncle's place, and it was early morning, I was by myself, and I was trying to fish, but I was just riddled with fear and anxiety and insecurity, and I was not enjoying myself, even though I was, the setting was serene and peaceful, and it was amazing, but here I was, just miserable. And so I started talking to God, and just pouring my heart out, and, and just sharing with Him my insecurities and everything. And then he spoke to me, and he basically said, I've got this, but I want you to do something right now. And I was like, what? What do you want me to do? He says, I want you to fish. And in that moment, this peace that surpasses all understanding just settled over me, and I was able to enjoy the rest of my morning sitting on that dock. And what God has taught me, not just through that moment, many moments even before then, and, and many moments since then, 
because I'm a human being and I'm tied to this physical world that we live in, we tend to see our, our needs through the physical. Even, even if it's an inner need, I, I don't feel loved, I don't feel respected, we, we immediately go to the physical to try to get the need met. And if we do get some success, as Bo said earlier, then we wrongly believe that, oh, if I just do more of that, that's going to work. But what God has been showing me is that when I hear him speak to me, in his very voice, there is the meaning of my needs, all of them. And it wasn't future finances that really, I mean, yes, that's important. You know, you got to pay bills. But it was security. It was rest hmm. that I really needed. And that's what God provided. I didn't need to see how something was going to be paid for. I needed his security, his rest to just lay over on me and for me to rest and lay back into it and just enjoy his presence. So that, I mean, that leads me kind of to my next question, which is how do we reconcile all that happens in the world, like having to pay bills or bankruptcy or sin, you know, even things up to the point of like genocide and like, how do we reconcile, reconcile that with how God is actually meeting our needs? Now you mentioned that in his very speaking to you and what you felt when, in that moment met your needs, but how do we reconcile that to all the rest of what we have going on? Well, we still live in a fallen world. The world system that we live in is still under that original curse. Mm -hmm. And there's consequences that just naturally play out. But that doesn't mean God's disconnected. He's very connected. But here we are. We're kingdom citizens. And that kingdom is not a physical kingdom. It's a spiritual kingdom. But yet we live in a physical world that's still subject to those consequences. And so we will walk through those tribulations and those trials because of the fallen world, but that's not an absence of God. Hmm. He's still very intimately involved in everything. I mean, I, I was thinking a couple years ago, how many wrecks have I not had out on the road because mm. God protected me? I mean, I you know, you can think of stuff that you had near misses and you can see those. Sure. But how many near misses were there that I never saw hmm. because God intervened? I have no idea. I think you're touching on the problem of evil and the goodness of God. Yeah. And I think we can't obviously have that conversation without knowing that love gives choice. Choice has consequence. Sin has horrible consequences. And something as complex and convoluted and heartbreaking and grotesque as genocide represents millions upon millions of different choices that are interwoven over, in some cases, centuries. There's also things that don't seem like we have choice that affects us. And I think of my daughter, Lucy Faith, you know, our second daughter. My wife was pregnant with her, and she died in utero. Uh, she was stillborn. Before she died, we knew that she had some significant medical problems. And so, of course, we poured out our heart to God asking for physical healing mm. for her. 
He answered our prayers with a complete healing, a, a permanent, eternal healing, mm. uh, in the sense that she's with him. So how do you wrestle with that? And is God's goodness and closeness and love, is that enough in the case of physical loss, of, of heartbreak, of all of these different aspects that are touched on that? And that's where your faith comes into play with the nature of who God is. And I remember sitting on a couch with my wife, Patty, we were talking about this. And, and essentially what we said was, is either God is good or he's not. Yep. And if the physical world is what determines whether he's good or not, and it turns out the way that I think, then I become the arbitrator of what's good. And he says that he is good. And so we chose to invest our faith in the, in the way he's revealed himself, that he is good, that physical signs don't change the nature of who he is. And therefore, his goodness is an unchangeable fact. And in that, those moments, like Tom on the dock kind of experience, we experience the peace of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the security. That speaks to the need for security. That speaks to the need for love. That seems, speaks to the need for strength because we felt so out of control yeah. in a situation that seemed impossible to experience those things. Yet, supernaturally, we experience that. And... Uh, Some would say, well, that shows God's not listening to you or he doesn't care because he lets a little child die and someone who's completely innocent. And yet I know that the story is much bigger than just one child. We live in bodies that are affected by disease. We're all going to physically die. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that God's not good? No, no. Matter of fact, his goodness has prevailed over this creation that he pierced it 2000 years ago when Christ came in the flesh so that we could be redeemed and restored and reconciled. Mm. And that reminds me that my needs aren't focused on getting met in this physical realm because I'm part of that spiritual kingdom that Tom is talking about. And I would say also that it is that challenge of faith to believe that he's going to use this for good because of Romans 8, 28. And it's also a benefit to us that... When we receive him, we return to the spiritual aspect of ourselves. We don't just live by our feelings or what we can see in this world. And that's something that a non-believer just can't experience and can't know what that means to us as believers. And it's very hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So, you know, I pose the problem, like Bo said, of evil and how we reconcile that with our needs being met and how God still does that, but maybe not necessarily in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. So what other challenges do you guys see that you've wrestled with of how you've gone on this journey of understanding how God meets your needs and all that goes along with that? For me, I've wrestled with this in the in my own personal life and also in the counseling room, is that you cannot see Jesus. You can't get a bear hug from him. He's not going to pop up on my my cell phone with a text saying, Bo, you're wanted today, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. or let's go hang out and do something fun together, and I'm going to plan this because I want to hang out with you. Mm-hmm. You do not have a physiological manifestation of that. And I've heard people, and I've I mentioned this in my own story about being wanted, I wanted to feel it or I wanted to have skin on it, you know, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I've wrestled with that, and that's a hard one. Because usually what people immediately do is start switching, well, God made people 
and he's going to meet my need through that person now because hmm. he's not in skin. He's going to put that, you know, he's going to sure. meet that yeah. need to a person. And I understand that the scriptures do say that we're supposed to love one another and accept one another and that we're supposed to speak truth and love and all these things to each other. But that's an overflow of tapping into the unseen, meeting all my needs. And so that's something that's really hard to wrestle with, especially when you're born into this world, looking into the physical realm to get that need met. Yeah. So how have you experienced with that challenge? Uh, what, where have you gone in that journey? Where are you today? Well, sometimes I set off into the physical world, <laughs> trying to get my relationships to perform better or for me to perform better. Yeah. That means I'm investing my faith in myself. And so there has been times, but God has been uh, patient with me and walked with me through that. That would be es- essentially sin because mm-hmm. I'm doing it my way. Yep. Where I'm at currently is that I believe the longer that I understand my neediness and I, I'm looking to him, the more experience that I have with him. And he's taught me ways of bringing his spiritual provision into the seen world. You know, in the Israelites, he would have them celebrate festivals or feasts to literally commemorate how he provided for their needs. And they would recreate that every year. So the Feast of Booths, they would literally build a little tent or whatever and live in it for a while to remember how he provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. Mm. So for me, he's taught me ways of bringing his provision into the seen world, whether that's quoting a scripture and writing it in my journal and talking about how the scripture applies to this, or whether it's telling another believer about what testifying to what he's doing. For me, I'm a person in nature. I like nature. And so Sometimes I've, I've literally had rocks, like the Israelites stacked rocks. You know, I had a place in my backyard that reminded me some of his provision. Mm. And so there's been some ways that he's taught me how. It's still, it, I haven't had Jesus pop out in my backyard saying, <laughs> sure. oh, I'm here. You know, yeah. it's, it's still a, a spiritual presence. It's not a physical. Yeah, it's just, it's uh, almost humorous on some level that it's a physical reminder of something that's spiritual. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? And I think he understands our weakness. Sure. That I've been, I'm growing and using my spiritual eyesights. You know, Paul says, we don't walk by what is seen. We walk by what is unseen. So he's like a parent with a toddler. I'm the toddler. He's the parent. And you have to, you have to remind toddlers a lot. <laughs> and he reminds me a lot, Bo, use your unseen eyes. And I'm like, okay, Dan, I'll do that. And then, you know, five minutes later, Bo, use your, yeah, exactly. <laughs> use your unseen eyes, and, and I grow in that. But it's, it is a challenge. And I think for many, they say the challenge is too big. I, I mean, I've got to figure it out in mm. the seen world. Yeah. I don't question intellectually whether God can meet my needs or not. I, I understand that he, he can, that he does. But there are those times when in this physical world we live in, when something's going on, and I have a choice in that moment to put my faith in what I know God can do. And I, at times I find myself uh, tilting over toward the, yeah, but I'll, I'll, I won't have any control if I do that. And so, mm-hmm. and then I'll, I'll catch myself not allowing God to meet the need and pursuing the meeting of the need on my own, using my own resources. And of course, it never works, <laughs> you know. And so I, I, I guess the challenge is 100% of the time putting my faith into the knowing that God can meet all my needs. Yeah, that's the the challenge is being patient, actually, with myself, knowing that God has infinite patience.
patience while I work out these problems of how mm. we let go of the flesh. Yeah. Uh, with me, it's always been a kind of a backing up process. For instance, uh, one of my flesh things is a temper. And so if someone cut in front of me in line, whoa, I was going to give it to you with both barrels. But as God began to speak, no, I meet that need. I'd hear him tapping me on the shoulder. Okay, sweetie, I've got this. But I might not hear it until after I'd already given him the barrels. (laughs) Sure, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But the next time I came in and someone jumped in, I might hear him halfway through that process. And by the third time, I was hearing him before I gave the barrels. So it was a backing up process. It was a loosening of those synapses that were physically wired in me to react that way. And I began to trust that I didn't need control. It was actually better for me to give him control because he did it through me Hmm. instead of me fighting to make a way to come out of this myself. I could rest and know he'd remind me he would do it through me. He would provide that in the moment. And so I found it lessening and lessening. But he does that with each flesh pattern I have, so I'm not done. <laughs> sure. But, you, you know, you said you, you found it was easier to give him control. How do you do that? It, it became a faith-growing exercise. Mm-hmm. When you learn, hey, this actually works yeah. better than my trying to do this, you'll begin to do it more and more that way. You'll let him have more control, or that's the way it worked with me. Sure, yeah. I think another challenge for me is, okay, God, you're going to meet all my needs, but does this just let somebody else in my life off the hook? Hmm. Do they just get to do whatever the heck they want to do? And their sin is not going to, it does affect me, you Mm -hmm. know? Uh, This is maybe a humorous and a quite small example, but years ago I used to live in a part of the city where there was uh, massive traffic, you know, six or eight lanes on this one expressway. And people would use these dedicated exit ramps and they would race up and then they would jump into the mainstream of traffic and they would make everybody else wait. You know, they're basically saying my time is more important than yours. And I would get up there. Eventually I would wait my turn and, and well, I guess sometimes maybe I might've been guilty of racing up there myself a few times, but sometimes if I was really patient, I would wait my turn. And, and then they, they get, there's people trying to pull in front of me. They've been, and I'm like, you can't get in front of me. I mean, I've been waiting here and you need to observe the law. Right. Then the Holy Spirit revealed to me what need was at stake. And it was this idea that they're saying their time is more important than me, which means that I'm of less value and also I'm of less strength. And so my attempt to gain that strength was to not let them into traffic. Well, Christ revealed that to me and it was great. It released my stress level in traffic. My respect came from God. It didn't come from these drivers that I don't even know that are doing these things. But still, I mean, they're still not doing the right thing, and it still impacts me. I'm still going to have to stay on the road longer, or maybe I'll be late to something. And that's a hard one. Obviously, that's a little bit of humorous experience, and it's not like life-shattering. It's just traffic. No, yeah, but it's a good But question. there's much bigger ones that we incur, mm-hmm. encounter in life. Yeah. With and it is hard, but one of the verses that God gave me that he constantly reminds me of, it's become a banner, is Job 42, too where Job says to God, I know that you can do all things and no plan of yours can be thwarted. And I remind myself of that, or God reminds me actually, when things like that happen and it's very comforting. Absolutely. What he reminds me of is the story with Jesus and Peter after he was crucified, buried, and raised. He went to Galilee 
and he's having that famous conversation with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Yeah, on the seashore. On the seashore. And in the in the Gospel of John, Peter apparently asks about the disciple Jesus' love. That was somewhere probably further up the seashore. And Jesus says, what is it to you if he remains until I come? He says, you, Peter, follow me. Yeah. And so what the Spirit's word to me is, Bo, yes, that is a challenge. You follow me. In other words, receive me meeting your needs. Let me worry about traffic and them getting to their destination before you and, and, that, and things of that nature. In all of your answers, there's been a mechanic that I've picked out that you guys have to take a moment in the moments when your needs are at stake to make a choice. And that's a learning process. It's, you know, as Bo, I've heard you say many times, it's a process that doesn't usually happen, you know, in an instant. It usually takes time. Like Jamie said, you backed into it. Bo used the cruise ship example where a cruise ship takes a long time to turn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times our experience of God meeting our needs is just that. It's at first we're like, I have no idea how this is, how does this even work? What's the mechanics, mm -hmm. the function of this? How does this apply to my life? But each step of the way, as we continue to allow God to have control or just continue to walk that path, God's going to come through, and it's going to become easier and easier, and we're going to be able to see God in a much clearer way. And Jamie, like you said, at some point in time, we get to the point where we're in an instance, and we're actually looking to God to meet our needs before we say or do something, and we can experience the peace that you've talked about. You know, when you're practicing allowing God to meet your needs, you have to remember that it is practice. You know, if you want to be a great musician, a guitarist, a pianist, or whatever, you're not going to just decide one day, you know what, I'm going to be a great concert pianist, and then you book the hall next week. <laughs> you know, you, you spend a lot of time practicing and learning, and you're working out all the things, and you're getting better and better and better before you end up on that stage. Mm. And at the same time, or in the same way, God says, I can meet all your needs. And he's not, he's not saying to us in that moment that I expect you to allow me to do that right now, every day, and, and don't you mess up. Hmm. He knows because of the flesh, because of the, the enemy taunting us, that there are going to be those moments when we, like I said earlier, that I just make a choice not to allow him to do that. But God is still who he is. He still is, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It holds no record of wrongs. Yeah. There's no condemnation in that moment. And as I come to the end of, like Jamie says, of that flesh self, of trying to do it my way, I realize that he's still there, that he still wants to meet my needs, and then it, and it causes me to, like a child running to dad. So so final question for this, and uh, uh, we like to do this, is just bring it back into focus of how it uh, uh, impacts or affect is, affects our view of how we look at Jesus. So how does knowing that God meets our needs help us see Jesus more clearly and help us know him better? Well, in John, I think it's in chapter 16, uh, Jesus is anticipating what's going to happen 
at the Garden of Gethsemane when he's going to be alone. He says, you're all going to leave me. And he immediately says, but I'm not alone. And why? Because his father's with him. And so what it does is it brings into focus our suffering Savior, our, our, our champion, our life, that he experienced the same thing on this earthly. He looked to his father to meet his needs. He did not look to the disciples. He had the need, I think, for companionship of that, uh, that would convey love and acceptance and security and protection and all the things that a friend mm-hmm. could provide. And he says, I'm not alone. I'm looking to my father for that. And obviously none of us experienced what he experienced in Gethsemane. So yeah. that gives me great hope and beautiful because uh, beautiful encouragement that the Savior uh, did the same thing that he's inviting me into. And so I think it just brings a magnificence of wonder and glory and gratitude and praise, knowing that that same Savior, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus lives within us. Yeah, and there's a there's a scripture that says that the Holy Spirit will bring to our mind all the things that Jesus said. And the more I get to know him, his words toward me, they'll never go against what scripture says. It's always consistent with that. But there's that personal dialogue. I remember a few years ago, my roof was leaking, and I discovered it on a Saturday night. There's nothing I could do about it because it was raining. Well, the next morning, Sunday morning, it stopped raining. So I thought, well, I better give on that roof and fix this problem. And I'm up on my roof, and it's probably about 11 o'clock in the morning, and, and all of a sudden I had this thought, oh, man, it's Sunday morning. I should be at church. I'm sitting here on this roof. And in that very moment, I heard God say to me, hey, where do you think I am? I'm right here on this roof with you. Let's fix this roof. And in that moment, I, I could just almost picture the, the person of Jesus up there with a hammer and nails, <laughs> and, and we're up there working on this roof together. And it was just a very intimate moment. I didn't have to be sitting on a pew in church in that moment. Now, I'm not saying don't go to church, you know, get on your roof, but <laughs> God meets us wherever we're at at any time. Yeah. And I think of uh, John 14 when Philip asked Jesus, show us the Father, and then we'll be satisfied. You know? mm-hmm. And um, and Jesus said, you've seen him, Philip. He's in me. And just like Bo said, that everything he did was from that power. And Jesus later prayed that we would know that the Father was in him and he was in us. And how much more secure could we possibly be? He has provided for everything we could possibly hope for or need. You know, because of that truth, when I hang out with you guys, I'm hanging out with Jesus. Because Jesus is in you. (laughs) That's right. Well, thank you all so much for the discussion today. Um, I think this is really relevant. And we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Next week, we will look at the purpose of humanity. We will discuss God's purpose and how we can fulfill His plan for our lives. The Living in Jesus podcast is a production of Christian Families Today and is produced and edited by Ross O'Hare and Ben Brezina. Christian Families Today is a nonprofit discipleship counseling, coaching, and training ministry focused on equipping men, women, and children in how to build biblically healthy lives and families. 
You can visit our website at cftministry.org to find this podcast, information about the Living in Jesus study, and other free content. If you were encouraged by this podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would take a minute and leave us a review. This podcast and all our free content is made available because of the generosity of people just like you from around the world. Until next week, thank you and God bless.